Something needs to be said about this. That the greatness God has for us is not found in us. That what God has for you, He has to put in you. Because if it was possible to pull greatness out of you, then, then, he would, he, then he, Jesus would, be, would have died in vain. But He had to die because there was none good, no, not one. Because of that, he's got to put it in us. And so if God's got to put it in us, there are obviously times when God's putting something in us that something's coming out as well. And in the process of that, that can be a very broken situation. In order, in order for the greatness God intends for us, he enrolls us in the school of brokenness. Now, we don't like that school. One man said, uh, you know, very few people enroll in it. And those who do enroll in it, very few of them graduate. But Joseph did both of them. He enrolled into the school of brokenness. And he graduated from the school of brokenness. And the point of the school of brokenness is to instill inside of us the, the attributes and the passion that God has for us. Something that's not in you. You see, when God saved you, he knew he had to do something about you you were a fixer-upper when he found you amen you were a broke down dilapidated home and God said I, I can fix this I see potential I can do something with this when everybody else passed by and said there's no hope there's nothing we can do tear that old barn down nothing we can do paint it going to fix it but when Jesus walked by he said no we're going to make this all brand new you see God had to put the greatness in you God, in, in us, there's not greatness in us until God puts it in us. It was Alan Redpath who said, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible man and crushes him. How true is that? I don't know if you've ever experienced the crushing of God, but it is a very eye-opening experience. And God will... And has at times taken his people and crushed them in order to rebuild what he wants inside of them. God does it all the time. It's called the school of brokenness. Now God has placed Joseph. God has a place for Joseph. He has a plan, a destiny. Somewhere Joseph is going and he's got dreams about it. But the path of those dreams takes a, a sudden turn. His dreams turn to nightmares. He goes from, I'm a dreaming Joseph, a coat of many colors, to being, uh, an, uh, being sold into slavery. He goes from wearing his coat with pride and his head held high to his head looking down low as a slave. He goes from a silver spoon in his mouth to being the one who puts the silver spoon in the hand of somebody else. He, he loses all of his own identity. He completely is stripped of who he is, all because God has a destiny for him. And God, when he wants to do something great in a man, he crushes him. Because in the process of crushing, God can truly build something worthwhile in that man's heart. But until he breaks him, I like how A.W. Tozer put it. He said, it's doubtful that God can use a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. Sometimes God has to hurt us in order for us to see what he wants to put into us. 
We often want to be in the place that God's, God wants us without any of the struggle. We want to be on the mountaintop and in the place of authority and strength. We want to be serving at the foot of Pharaoh and saving the world without the prison sentence, without the Potiphar's house, without the lies, without the stripping, without the school of brokenness. Oftentimes in our lives, in every single one of us, God is stripping our past away from us and putting in us who he wants us to be. Some of you are in the process of being stripped from who you are so God can see Christ inside of you. I like how Jesus said it to Peter, James, and John. He said, come follow me and I will make you. I always stop right there when I read that word, make you. Because that's a, that's a loaded statement. Make you. Anybody in here, God making you? <laughs> if you're honest, I probably may have found you, amen? Right in the process of the molding, when God molds you and he puts his hands on you, he begins to unfold in your life his destiny, his plan. And if he finds hardness in you, he breaks it out of you. Crushes you so that he can develop in you that soft, tender heart that he wants to put inside of you. God, God will use the school of brokenness to develop you. We don't like to talk about it. I, I've seen God use our court systems to crush men and women. I've seen people who wouldn't learn the lesson when they should have learned the lesson. So God said, okay, I'm going to break you. And God breaks them. So that he can develop what he wants in us. I've seen consequences become the hammer in God's hand. Where God takes the consequences and begins to crush the situation. So that he can develop what he wants to develop in our lives. Know this. Wherever you are, there's a purpose, a plan. And God is doing something inside of you. You may not see it. You may not feel it. You may, be, you may feel like you, that God has forsaken you. You're probably in the school of brokenness right now. And God is developing something mighty. And, and right now you can't see that. All you can do is see the circumstances. But it's when you can't see further than the circumstances that God's doing something mighty in you. Uh, first thing I want to do this evening is talk about Joseph's first day of the school of brokenness. Because we see several things here. I got five quick things that I want to point out that Joseph is experiencing. The first and obvious thing is his favor is seemingly stripped from him and he is thrown into a pit. I want you to picture this. Here comes the dreamer, right? Here comes the one who's got these dreams. The sun, the moon, the stars pay homage to me. My brother's sheaves bow down before me. He's got these dreams and he approaches his brothers and his brothers, their face, their countenance has changed. It isn't a smile. It isn't a greet uh, of love. Hey, brother, an embrace of love. It is tear his coat off his back. They strip him of the very thing that, that just irritates them. And they were more irritated because they didn't have a coat. I can't preach that again. I preached that last week. But they were irritated and they were frustrated because they saw something in Joseph that wasn't in them. And, and you shouldn't be like that. But the first day of school for Joseph was he was stripped of what he thought was his favor. I want you to know that when you feel like there is no favor, 
that's when you have the most favor. <laughs> when you are at your lowest, that is when God is at his greatest. When you are in your moment of weakness, that is when God is strong in you. When you are falling apart, that's when God has it all together in your life. That's when God is in control. When you are chaotic and your mind is bombarded from every angle and every side, God puts his hand of covering over you and says, I have you, it's all right. Isn't that awesome? Joseph goes from a moment of he's got his head held high, he is strong, he has, he's got dreams, and now he's in a pit. Have you ever, has it ever been that sudden for you? Has the shift ever been that quick? I've had moments where the shift was that quick. Where one moment it's like, hey, everything's going good. This is praise be to Jesus. And then the next moment, boom. I'm in the pit. And I'm looking up and I'm like, is, am I ever going to get out of this? He goes from holding his head high to his head low. He's treated like trash being thrown away. Wow. The one that is favored by his father. You know, in the curriculum of the school of brokenness, there's this thing called rejection. Matter of fact, when you go to the school of brokenness, you will graduate with an honors degree in rejection. You will come out knowing what it's like to feel like others have looked at you and said, I don't want to be around them. You'll know what that's like. Joseph faced that. The brothers didn't rejoice at Joseph's coming. They rejected him. And I want you to think about this. Isn't it sad? Because just a few chapters earlier, when Dinah was raped, they destroyed a whole city for her. But when Joseph comes, they're so offended at him, Strip him and reject him as even their own blood. They contemplate killing him, physically killing their own brother. And they throw him in a pit and they reject him. Do you, don't you believe with all your heart that Joseph screamed out for help? And they ignored it. And how gross is the rejection? The, the Bible says they threw him in the pit and they sat down for a meal. Didn't they notice there was one brother missing at the table? But they didn't even pay attention to him. They, they just threw him away. In the school of brokenness, there's the curriculum of loneliness. You ever been lonely? <laughs> Joseph was lonely that day. Lying in the pit, no doubt he cried out to God. No doubt he said, God, what's going on here? I have dreams. I've got visions. There's something good for me. Well, what's going on here, God? No doubt he was bewildered and didn't understand. No doubt he felt forsaken. He felt alone. No doubt in that pit he was struggling to understand. Hmm. Can we? You know, if, you, if you've ever been through the school of brokenness, I don't even have to elaborate. You can, you can preach to yourself right there. You already know what it's like to be alone. You already know what it's like to feel the rejection. You already know it. In the school of brokenness, I, this part gets me. They pull Joseph out of the pit, right? They get him out of the pit. And maybe in Joseph's heart, he thinks, this is over. 
Yeah, they changed their minds, right? It's, it's over. It's going to be better now. No. They watch, he watches his brothers receive money in place of his life. He was nothing, he wasn't even worth more than 20 pieces of silver in the hearts of his brothers. Talk about facing such rejection. No doubt he screamed out to them, why are you getting rid of me? Why are you discarding me? Why am I trash? What have I done? No doubt he was hurt by this. But you got to understand, in order for God to do in Joseph what he's got planned for him, he's got to crush him. It's doubtful that God can use a man greatly unless he hurts him deeply. And God has something special for the life of Joseph. And it takes a degree from the school of brokenness to handle what God has for him. And so God starts the crushing in a sudden instant and he begins to break him. And what's even worse is that when God puts you in the school of brokenness, those who love you the most are affected as well. Wasn't Joseph's father affected by the same brokenness? Joseph's father was crushed. When I read this story, I picture a man on his knees in utter brokenness and tears, crying out for the son that he believed was torn to pieces by some wild animal. Horrible thing to think about. Holding the coat that held so much promise when it sat on the shoulders of his son that he loved so much. He said, he even told his family, I will go to the grave mourning for my son. When you go through the school of brokenness, somebody close to you is going with you. God doesn't break us alone. Oftentimes when he breaks you, if you're married, he'll break your wife or your husband. He'll put you all through the same school to develop what needs to be developed in you. Now, what is God's goal in crushing us? I've given you these things, but what is God's goal? Here's the ultimate goal. We need to come to the end of ourselves. We come to the end of who we are. When God puts you in the school of brokenness, you can trust nothing else but God. You can't, you can't come up with solutions in the school of brokenness while you're, while, you're, while you're sitting at the desk and the teacher has given you all that brokenness in your life. You can't figure it out. You can't even understand it. Have you ever been in, in a place in your life where you just, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't know how to handle that. I don't know how to process that. How, how, do I, how do I get over this? How do I get beyond that? How do, how do, they, they said this and that hurt. They, they did this and that made me mad. And, and I'm affected in my heart. I don't even know how I'm going to handle it. Have you ever been there? And when you get in those places where you're like that, the whole goal is so that you come to a place where you no longer exist anymore. And Christ is everything inside of you. Nothing else at that moment matters but Jesus. God, where are you at in this moment? While Joseph's in the pit, God, where are you at? 
at while he's in the hands of the Ishmaelite traders? God, where are you at while he's in Potiphar's house? God, where are you at? The school of brokenness brings a person to a complete place of emptiness. Where you no longer exist. You no longer have a say. You no longer even get a vote. It's just God in charge. When you get that broken, in that place of brokenness, God's goal is to put an end to you. I like how how Jesus said it, you must take up your cross and follow me. Like how Paul said it, you must die daily. He said, I die every day. What is he dying to? He's dying to who he is so Christ can live. He's dying to his own passion so Christ can live. He said, I don't want to become a castaway. I don't want to become somebody who's thrown away or discarded. No, I fight. I'm fighting. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. He said, I'm fighting my good fight. I'm going to finish my course, he said. All those things he said because what it takes to get there is Jesus and not you. The greatness that God has for you is not in you. He has to put it in you. And in order to put it in you, he's got to break other things out of you. So the point of the goal of the crushing, of the, the goal for God crushing us is that we need to come to the end of ourselves. And the second thing that God does in the crushing is God is preparing us for the great task that demands great trust. Many times we are in places, if God was to give me certain blessings when I first got saved, I wouldn't be able to handle them. I could tell you right now that if when I first got saved at 16 and a half years old, if I would have moved right to Kingman and started pastoring this church, it would have been a wreck. Because I was a wreck. My first church, I, I want to go back in time and do that all over again. I didn't do a very good job. <laughs> I pray now that I do a decent job, but back then it was horrible. I had all kinds of issues in my own life that God was molding and breaking out of me. And I was 24 years old, took my first church, and I thought I knew everything. The older I get, the less I know. Amen? But if I could change things, I, 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 the things that God puts in our life, we couldn't handle them at a certain time in our life. And so God has to take us through our life and prepare us for those adventures, for that journey. I believe that my first church I pastored was a stepping stone to be right here. I believe the second church I pastored was a stepping stone to be right here. I believe all the things I'm going through and, and dealing with and the fights that I the devil and, and the prayer meetings that I pray and, the, and, the, and the, the studying that I do in the word of God is all preparation for this very moment right here. God prepares the people. He makes you. He makes you. And, and when he's making you, he might have to break you. And don't be alarmed. If you're in the hands of the one who breaks you, it's all all right. God's been good to me many times. I, I, one time he told me he was going to crush me. And I told him, I said, as long as I fall in your hands, I'm okay. 
I still remember the moment. Because I need to know that I'm still in your hands, God. I'm, I'm in your hands. I'm okay. But if you crush me and drop me, I can't handle that. That'll be over for me. Just keep me in your hands. I can tell you right now that when God breaks you, he keeps you in his hands. He doesn't let you go, but he keeps molding you. When Joseph was taken, the point of all of it was preparation. He had to, he had to, he had to have dependence on God and not independence in himself. He couldn't be independent of God. He had to come to a place where he depended wholly upon God. And that's what the school of brokenness is about. The school of brokenness is about, is about coming to a place where you can't rely on somebody else to help you through it. You need God to help you through it. And when you can trust the Lord in the darkest and the hardest times of your life, that's when you see God's great hand. Let me remind you that every miracle in the scriptures happened in broken moments. Think of the Red Sea experience. That wasn't a shining moment. Everyone is complaining and murmuring. Wasn't there enough graves in Egypt that we couldn't die back there? That's what they were complaining about. But when God stepped in, that's when the miracle takes place. It's in broken times that we see God's great hand. It's in the times on the mountaintop where we can hardly see some of the great things that God is doing because there we're rejoicing and shouting and we're blessed. But in that low time is when we see God really moving and we see his hand and we're tender to it at those times in our lives. Oh, I can tell you that when I'm in a low time, I'm looking for any touch from God, any voice. Sometimes God doesn't speak in full sentences. He gives me a word, just a statement, just a little thing. And I'm telling you, I, I hold on to those things. Those are like parachutes to a man falling to his death. When he says, hey, I, I got a word for you. I grab onto that with a death grip and said, that's mine right there. All of that is you're learning to, to be sensitive and trust God in ways that you couldn't trust him before. And so God is taking Joseph, and he's breaking Joseph down. And when God's done with Joseph, he'll be able to sit next to Pharaoh, occupy that place, and still be God's man. But it's going to take a long time. Matter of fact, it takes 13 years from this date when God finally pulls him out. Now, something needs to be said about these brothers. I would like to slap them. Because you don't need enemies when you got brothers like these. But something needs to be said about them because these brothers become a tool in God's hand to reposition Joseph. I want you to understand something. The brothers are, are evil. Their plots, their plan is evil. What they're planning to do is not godly at all. But everything that's about to happen to Joseph is of God. That needs to be recognized. That's, a, that's, that is, that's difficult for us to process that a good God would take us through times of hurting. But times of hurting come to us nonetheless. 
And many people have lost faith when the hurting comes because they don't like to be hurt. But let me tell you something. Don't be alarmed by the hurt. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You're wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places. You're wrestling against demonic presence and the ruler of the darkness of this world. You're wrestling against ungodliness. you got to realize that the person who said it was just influenced by somebody else to say it. You need to realize that. Now, these brothers are, are literally a tool. And God has given Joseph that they don't kill him the moment he shows up. At least Reuben had enough sense to say that at least. But God uses the evil of Joseph's brothers to accomplish the good in Joseph's life. And I want you to know this, that God will take the circumstances that are evil against you. The demonic attacks that have been attacking you. The oppression that has come in upon you. When the enemy comes in and he floods your life, God takes all of that. All of that. And he says, I'm going to use this as a tool. To show you how good I am. I like that about God. I believe God is good, don't you? Jack says it all the time. He's a good, good father, right? He's a good, good father. We like the good, good father when he does good, good, good to us all the time. Good, 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 good father, right? We want him to be good all to us. But there are times in our life where evil comes. Where trouble comes. Where problems come. Where complications come. Where heartache comes where brokenness comes but God is still good amen yes he deserves praise he's still the God of the mountain he's the God of the valley he's God he's still God he'll take the evil that comes against you and he turns it he takes all of it and he shifts it in your life and he says what they meant to destroy you with, I'm going to turn it around and it's going to be wonderful. It'll be a blessing to you when I'm done with it. I love that about God. That he's still good when it's bad. <laughs> he's still good when it hurts. He's still good when the doctor gives me a, a, a prognosis that says, you know, it ain't very good. He's still good. When everything's falling apart, he's still good. Boy, it's hard when you're in the school of brokenness to see that, isn't it? Oh, it's hard. When you're in that place and you're broken, it's hard to say, God, you're still good. Come on, am I right? I mean, it is hard to still look out at the circumstances, the broken situations, the devastation, the ruin that has come by blood of the enemy and you look out at it and all you do is see the devastation and hard it is to still raise your hands to heaven and say I praise you anyway how hard is that it's so hard but I'm telling you when you get to that place when you can praise him anyway when you can give him glory no matter where you're at when you can say Lord, I'm still yours. Lord, I'm still yours. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand, but I'm still yours. When you can say that, that's when it's working. Praising Him anyway. 
Oh, we can testify about it. We love to shout about it. Praise Him anyway. Praise Him anyway. Praise Him anyway. We say it on a mountaintop. But when you get in a valley, brother, that's when you got to praise Him anyway. That's when you raise your hands in victory, that's when you tell the devil, I'm still here. I'm making that the theme of our camp this year. I'm still here, devil. Now, get this. God permits evil to exist to bring about the plan of redemption. Why doesn't God just destroy Satan right now? He's a flea. He's a created being. God could flick him and it's over. He has no power over God. The demons tremble at the, at the name of Jesus. And, and when we say his name, we're weak. But when we say his name, there's power in the name of Christ. So when we say Jesus, the demons tremble. Imagine what it's like when they get in God's presence. The Bible says the hills melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. Mount Sinai shook when God stepped foot on it. We're talking about a mighty God. He could flick Satan and he no longer exists. But why, why doesn't God just do that? God has chosen that at the time now, he's going to allow evil to exist, but he's going to allow evil to exist to show you how good he is. You wouldn't know that God is good if you didn't see evil. Oh, I hear all these atheist people say, bad things happen to good people. They're talking about all this bad things, and they're blaming God for bad things. Let me tell you who brought the bad. It was man who brought the bad in. Man's the one who sinned against God. Man's the one who failed. Man's the one who still chooses sin today. If you want to know where evil comes from, it comes from the heart of man. That's where it comes from. God created this earth perfect. He has a plan for it. It was set out. It was created that man would live with God forever. But man wrecked it. Man ruined it. And now God is trying to bring it back. And he allows evil to exist to show you that he is good. Amen? Think about it. We wouldn't have salvation today if the evil didn't say, give us Barabbas. Joseph would not have been able to save the world if there hadn't been evil brothers. God shows us his goodness through the evil that befalls us. We look out at the world and we see evil all around us. Matter of fact, as Christians, we wonder, is it ever going to end? Yes, it is. Let me say this about the enemy. Even though evil exists, God is still in control. God is still in control. You may see evil all around you. You may see evil all in, in your family's lives and the lives of those around you. You may see it in the workplace. You may see it on the television screen. You're, gonna, you're definitely, if you watch the news, you'll be depressed not long after. And I'm sure you're going to see it there. There's evil everywhere. Evil everywhere. They make whole TV shows about the evil that men do to men. 
Watch ID. Watch some of these shows. You'll see what evil is. There's a lot of evil in the world. We magnify the evil. All in America, we magnify it. I'd love to see a show about miracles that happen. I sure love to see a show about where God showed up. Where someone testifies and say, I think an angel stepped in and saved me. I'd like to see some shows about that, but we don't see those. We only see the evil and we're inundated with evil all around us. But even though that's all we see, know this, God is still in control. God isn't fretting over the evil that exists. He's so good that if he wanted to, he could over, he could come down and put an end to evil at this very moment. But God is along suffering. Many should come to repentance before he puts an end to sin. God is in control. He holds the reins on Satan, doesn't he? He does. He holds the reins. Remember when Satan snuck in with the with the, the sons of God in the book of Job, and, he say, and God said, have you considered my servant Job? And he goes, ah, he, you got a hedge about him. That's God holding the reins. Well, you drop that hedge, he'll curse you. And you know the story, how that goes. You know that he, Job, not only did he not curse God, but he served him all the way through all of it. That's the school of brokenness. God has placed limitations on evil and Satan. How many have ever heard this? God will never put on you more than you can bear. That's because God has put limitations upon evil and upon Satan. He is limited in what he can do to you. He is limited in his ability to come at you. He is limited in what he can say to you. You better know this, that the God that you serve has put a hedge about you as well. Job is not a special character in the Bible that gets special treatment from God. You are just like Job, children of the Most High God, and God has placed upon you a hedge, and Satan has been limited. Let me tell you how God has limited him. He's limited him in time. Satan knows his time is coming to an end. He knows that one day Jesus is coming back. He knows that one day when the eastern sky splits and, and he sees Jesus coming on that white horse, he knows. He knows that there's a destiny called the bottomless pit where he'll be bound for a thousand years. He knows that at the end of all this, hell and the lake of fire will be thrown into the lake of fire and all sin and hell will be dealt with by God. He knows it's coming. His time is limited. He still tries his best, though, don't he? His time is limited. Satan's power is limited by the time that he has. He carries no power in eternity. When he stands before God, he is powerless before God. Let's not forget who gave him his power. Let's not forget who's the one who created him. If God wanted to, he could crush him at a moment. But he chooses to wait so that many sons and daughters can come into the fold. If God was to deal with sin in its totality now, what would happen to those who are not ready? Peter put it this way, if, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly appear? 
Oh, how careful we need to be and how patient and loving we need to be. I want Jesus to come right now, but you know what I want him to do? I want him to save some family before he comes right now. So thank you, Lord, for patience. Long-suffering for those that want to come in. I, I want God to put an end to sin too, but, but I want all my family saved first. I want to see some people born again, filled with the Spirit of God. I want to see some things happen. I need to hurry. I'm preaching way too long. Well, at least you're enjoying it. God has placed limitations on Satan. The first limitation he's placed on him is time. He's, he's limited him in time. He's also limited him in his kingdom. He has no authority in heaven. None whatsoever. He does not command angels. He does not command anybody there. He has no authority there. He has no governing power when it comes to the throne room of God. When he comes to the throne room of God, God is in charge. Paul said that he is the, he, that, that he, there are, he's the ruler of the darkness of this world, that he's the prince of the power of the air, that here on this earth he does have dominion and he does attack and he does, he does prowl, he does, but he's like a vagabond running to and fro seeking whom he may devour because God has placed hedges upon those and he says, you can't have that one, 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 not that one either, Sister, Sister Roxanne's been praying for that one, you can't have that one. Sister Amy's been praying for that one. You can't have that one. Terry's been praying for that one. Nope, nope, that one you can't have, Satan. Sorry, you're a vagabond. Keep moving. Amen? That's God's limitations upon him. He has no authority where God has placed his hand of protection. He's not only limited at time, but he's limited to his place. He's limited in what he governs. He governs only here. Now, let me, let me tell you all this, okay? I, I've said all that to bring it down. I'm going to funnel this down here. The point of all this is all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I've been preaching this for the last couple of weeks. God works it all together. Evil, good, all of it. He'll take it all. He'll take everything about you. You might be a wreck right now. Congratulations, you're in the right place. This is the salvage yard of heaven. And he will rebuild you. He will remold you. He will refashion you. He will put in you new things that you never thought was possible. I can tell you right now, when I was 15 years old, I never thought in a million years I'd be a pastor. When I tell my friends back in high school, when they call me and go, hey, Bruce, what are you doing, man? I go, hey, man, I'm a pastor. What? <laughs> you were evil. You were worse than all of us. That's, that's God's grace, my dear friend. That's God's grace. God takes the worst, amen? God works it all together. Now, look at this. We have the privilege to fast forward in the life of Joseph and, and fast forward to chapter 50 and see Joseph and, and, and see who he is. But in our lives, we can't fast forward and see, can we? Don't you wish we could? Sometimes we want to rewind. Sometimes we want to fast forward. I, I wish we could hit the fast forward button and see the end product of what God is doing but sometimes we can't see that. And in Joseph's life, we get that privilege. So I want you to see what God intends through the school of brokenness 
And let me show it to you, Joseph's own, own words in Genesis 50, 19 through 21. As we study the life of Joseph, we will be talking about these words quite a bit. Joseph said to them, his brothers are very afraid now because the dreams have come to pass. He is second in command in the greatest nation of his day. He is no longer a slave in Potiphar's house. He is no longer being sold for 20 pieces of silver. His value is greater than the world's worth at this time. Everyone comes to Joseph to supply for their family. He is the greatest man on the earth in his day right here. He could snap his fingers and every one of his family be dead in an instant. He has that power, that authority. But I want you to see his brothers are so afraid that they're going to get what they deserve. Aren't you glad that God never gives you what you deserve? I am glad. Because all of us would be in hell right now. Waiting for the eternal judgment. But God never gives us what we deserve. He gives us his mercy and his grace and his love. And Joseph is a prime example of this. This is what he says to his brothers who are fearful of that they may get what they deserve. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Whoa, whoa, whoa. How did he learn that? The school of brokenness taught him, I depend on God. This isn't an independent decision here. This isn't me getting the final vote. I have the final say. You're all dead. He didn't do that. He said, no, I'm not God. I'm not the judge. God broke him down to a place where he wasn't in charge anymore. As a pastor, I've always had to tell myself, I'm not in charge. I have to tell myself that. Because authority gets intoxicating. Come on, somebody preach with me tonight. And you have to be careful that you don't let authority go to your head. This is why Paul said, don't let him be a novice. Because when authority gets in your head, it, it messes you up. God took Joseph through the school of brokenness so that it wouldn't go to his head. But, but look at this in verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me. Get this, okay. You had evil. And I want you to know that there are evil things that the enemy intends to bring upon you. And those evil things, they may be coming or they may have already come. There, there's evil coming. It's, it's always going to be there until, until we get to heaven, until God brings an end. We all experience evil. And he said, you had evil in you against me, but God meant it for good. What you intended evil... God had good plans. It's hard to see the good plans through the evil deeds. Isn't it? School of brokenness will teach you how to get there. God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. Look at that. Tells him twice. Don't be afraid. Here's a man who could flick his fingers and kill him, and he says these next words, I will provide for you. <laughs> Come on, if that's not a picture of Jesus, somebody ought to say amen. That's a picture of Jesus, amen? Give us Barabbas, I'll provide for you. 
I, go ahead, whip me. I'll provide for you. Go ahead, criticize me. I'll provide for you. Go ahead, put the crown of thorns on me. Mock me. Pluck my beard. I'll provide for you. You'll come to me, and I'll provide for you. I'm telling you, evil has intentions, but God has something good in it. Amen? Isn't God good? And look at this. I will provide for you and your little ones. And then he comforted them. <laughs> Didn't Jesus say, I will send the comforter? I can preach all night. <laughs> and get this. And spoke kindly to him. The same brothers, whom the Bible said in Genesis 37 that they couldn't say a kind word to him. Joseph is able to return kindness for evil. Talk about inner strength. Talk about anointing. Talk about power. Talk about restraint. I'm telling you that God will take you through the school of brokenness to put his attributes in you. And if God has something great for your life, you hear me right now, you don't get anything else, get this. If God has something great for your life, he will crush you. He will crush you. So when you're in the crushing of his hands, don't be afraid. He's still got you. And he's still doing something in you. And what he intends to bring out of you, he will put it in you. Come from you, it won't come because in you, it'll come from him, and you will know that it is none, none other than him that, that gave it to you. You will know it. You will be only be able to point to him. You will only be able to say, God did it. God is the one. You will only be able to say that because when God takes you through the school of brokenness, the point of it is to empty you so that you could see nothing but him. An end to yourself. Hallelujah. All right, I preached long enough. Let's stand together.